Thank you for listening to this episode of Pit Stop, which means this episode is about Formula One specifically. If you enjoy this content and want more F1, let us know on Twitter or Instagram at lunchpailguys underscore and subscribe on your favorite podcast channel. Yes, and welcome to a Pit Stop episode. This is Jared podcasting alongside Lucas. It was a dream weekend, I think, in terms of content. First off, the Rings of Power debuted earlier the week in Thursday. First couple episodes were pretty slow, but we also then had a great college football weekend. And, of course, a Formula One race. Three back-to-back races coming off the summer break, which is awesome. Let's just dive right into it, though. As I said, we had F1 and college football on the same weekend. So for each F1 team, this is a you know a hybrid. This is a this is a podcast for the hybrid F1 football fans. So we have to do uh, a little comparison here. For each F1 team, we're gonna find a college football team that either had a similar Week One performance or kind of similar narrative uh, coming into their Week One debut or post their Week One debut. Uh, we're just gonna go down the constructor standing. So we're gonna start with Red Bull, uh, Lucas. What's the uh, college football comparison for how Red Bull's Dutch Grand Prix went? I mean, there's no, comp- there's, I think, a fairly easy comparison here, and it's Alabama. Um, I think yeah. both at this point, Red Bull and Alabama are sort of the undisputed top of their sports, and every expectation at this point in the season is that they'll dominate the rest of the year, take home a title. I think there's a lot of good reason to think that on both fronts. Both have the best player slash driver. Alabama has Bryce Young. Red Bull has Max Verstappen. And again, for anything lot and for both, anything less than a title would be considered a failure. There are some obvious differences if you look at like the long history of things. Like Alabama's been much more recently dominant than Red Bull is, but if you're looking at like current right now expectations, yeah, it's gotta be Alabama. Just because this year Red Bull has been so thoroughly dominant, I think, over the course of the season, and Max has been so thoroughly dominant. I think Alabama's gotta be the comparison. That's a good one. I agree. And like you said earlier, actually, we already talked about it, but Georgia would be a good comparison too. So, I think Georgia, yes, is also a very effective comparison there. Because then there it's like, okay, they're coming off their first title in a while. They're yeah. looking to defend it. We'll see how it, it pans out there. So, true. Yeah, Georgia nice. also a good one I considered. Good connection. Yeah. Uh, what about Ferrari? You also got Ferrari here. What? Um, curious to see who you're going to say here for their analogy, college football. I think this is also an easy one. I think it's Texas. I think both are considered. I think both are considered like the sleeping giants of their sport. For both of them, there's always high expectations of them being back, of them dominating the sport again. Even though for Ferrari, it's probably a little less common than it is for Texas. But Ferrari, at least with this season, the expectation they're going to be back. They're going to dominate. And with Texas, I think they have a similar sort of hype going into the season. But both seem to always fail in really comical ways to the point where they're the whole status of them like being back or like being good has become like the biggest running joke in the sport. Like I think Ferrari's strategy and like Texas being back sort of hold like a similar place in terms of like just like pure just like joke status throughout the sport. So I feel like for that reason alone, I'm giving uh, Texas as being the same as Ferrari. All right, good. I like that one. Yeah. I feel like that's yeah. yeah you got that's, Mercedes next. Mercedes yeah. is a great one. Um, I'm going on their yeah. specific week one here. Um, I'm saying okay. Appala- Appalachian State <laughs> is that had the same weekend oh. that Mercedes had. So, if anybody watched okay. the North Carolina North Carolina Appalachian State game, it was pretty crazy. Um, Appalachian State was playing a Power Five team in North Carolina. 
So in other words, they were not the better team in the same way that Mercedes is not the best team. They have the third best car, really, this year. Um, but they had a good game plan the same way that Mercedes did. They had a really great race strategy that was actually, maybe they wouldn't have won, but it was looking pretty good without the safety cars and stuff. But at the end of the race, both of them had the opportunity to potentially win the race uh, or win their game. But Mercedes kind of messed it up by pitting Russell and ma- basically only making Max overtake one Mercedes car. It was likely, or it was possible he's probably going to overtake both, but it would have been a little more exciting and a lot more difficult. In a similar vein, Appalachian State had the chance to win two times, um, actually, uh, on a two-point conversion and failed both times, um, even though their player was wide open the first time. Mm-hmm. The second time, actually, it was a two-point conversion to tie the game, but still. I think in both cases, it was like a really exciting ending but they just weren't the better team and kind of lost out because of that. So that's my comparison right there. Okay, I'll take that. I think in terms of like just direct one-to-one comparison of this week, I really like that. And I feel bad for both because but like both I feel like would have been like feel-good stories who have won that yeah. game too or that race too. But What's your thought on it? All, I guess. Like for the whole season, who do you think Mercedes would be? Um, I think like a, a Texas A&M. You know, it's yeah. like equivalent of like a team that's like you think maybe could do it but probably won't but maybe they have like one nice breakthrough sort of game in there so i think it's like a team with like high expectations but not crazy high expectations and so yeah i think maybe like a texas a&m even a notre dame i feel like is not like an awful comparison for mercedes i'd say clemson they're coming off like a really good stretch of domination then kind of have fallen off we haven't seen clemson play this year obviously but they're like in the top four but not quite there yet not that i'm willing to yeah that's fair what about uh fourth on the grid doing pretty well on track off the track not doing so well what about alpine i think i'm gonna go with the university of houston I think oh <laughs> this is interesting <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> i think both seem to be kind of under the radar teams that nobody expects to win a title or anything like that but both deliver pretty consistent performances and have maybe a little bit of a shot of glory. For Alpine, maybe it's they break through, they finally get a podium this year. Um, haven't yet, but, you know, Alonzo and Alcon both have been putting in good performances. And for Houston, that chance of glory is like a New York, New York Six Bowl victory. Both are seen as kind of teams on the rise. I think Houston is seen as the best of the group of five this year. Um, they, though they were ranked below Cincinnati, everybody's talking. It seems to be that Houston's going to be the best group of five team. Um, especially since Cincinnati lost their first game to Arkansas this past weekend. And Alpine is probably going to be the best of the rest this year outside of Mercedes, Ferrari, and Red Bull. They're going to take that fourth spot. So I think um, with both of them, they're just sort of like under the radar, solid, well-performing teams. Both sort of delivered on that um, in the first week. Um, Houston beat a good UTSA team that um, in their first week, beating them in overtime by two points. Alpine, again, put in like a classic Alpine performance. Two in the points, Alonzo in sixth, Ocon in ninth. So I think they're both like good under-the-radar teams that are making an impact in that sort of best-of-the-rest role, but not doing anything too crazy outside of that. Gotcha. Yep, that's a good one. Another one I thought of for Ferrari, by the way, mm-hmm. is Nebraska, I feel like, <laughs> where they just I find new ways well. to lose their race or whatever. Um, I like that The same as well. way that Nebraska does. I think it would be funny. Mm-hmm. Um, what about McLaren? The LSU. Team that, LSU. <laughs> Shoot, I love that one. Oh, I, I know why too. Huh? I know exactly why. Tell me. Yeah, exactly. They're, it's easy. I, one, they're both just kind of, I mean, it's mostly they're just 
kind of hot messes at this point that look like villains because of how they've dealt with sort of like internal transitions. So if you start looking at both the situations, both fired really liked well liked people, McLaren and Danny Rick, uh, LSU and Coach O, um, who had struggled recently even after pretty successful spells early in their career for going after a shinier name out there. <laughs> both took their replacement from a team that already sort of like claimed ownership over them. Uh, LSU took Ryan Kelly from Notre Dame uh, and... LSC or and sorry, McLaren took uh, Piastri from Alpine, and I think in doing so, both have kind of become teams that people are rooting against. Like maybe it's just my own Twitter circles, but I think even outside my own like Twitter circles, and like people are rooting against LSU this year, like do not like Brian Kelly and all that. And yeah. so I think that McLaren's getting a similar sort of thing. Plus, both of them I think have like moderately low immediate expectations for their team but pretty high long-term expectations for their team as well so that's a little outside of it but i think in terms mm. of like just the poor dealing with internal transitions recently i think there's a lot of overlap there good that's a good one that's my favorite one so far actually <laughs> okay solid well you have a chance to top it next you're doing alfa romeo who is their comparison no i'm not gonna top it alfa romeo is like I just feel like the most nondescript team on the grid consistently year in and year out, and they don't really get much time on drive to survive, that sort of stuff. I feel like, so Bottas retired, Joe finished outside the points, so this has to be a team that lost this weekend. I think I'm going to say Cincy here, where they kind of are like riding, Cincy was riding some momentum and have performed like admirably, I guess, but didn't win their game Um, in the same Uh way that Alfa Romeo this year has kind of been riding some hype. Um, but hasn't has kind of like fallen off their really strong uh, start that they had at the start of the season. I guess their car development hasn't really been that good, and they've been super unreliable too. So I'm going to say Cincinnati here. I like that. I think there's like some some similarities there, and because I think Alfa Romeo is always hard because they are just sort of like always the They're most super nondescript yeah. team on the grid. So mm-hmm. hey, um, what about Haas here, seventh in the standings? What do you think? I had a hard time with this one. Um, I went with North Carolina because I think they're both okay. kind of like fun, organized chaos. Like it's like, in, <laughs> yeah. I think it's just like you. I mean, you mentioned their game this last week in North Carolina against Appalachian State, and just how kind of like crazy and chaotic that was. I think that's just like kind of how I feel about Haas too. Like they have good characters and stuff. Like I feel like Gunter and Mick and K Mag are also just sort of like fun to watch. I think North Carolina with Mac Brown is sort of like fun to watch um and yeah i had a hard time with this one because i feel like it's just like i couldn't find a direct like crazy chaos yeah. like fun and sort of up and coming compared because i think north carolina and Haas are both like sort of up and coming like they're they're better than they were but they're not good at this point mm-hmm. so that's why i went with north carolina you have any thoughts on it mm, not really it's kind of hard to find a, okay. a, a good comparison for them yeah yeah. All right. Well, you have the last three: Alphatari, yes. Aston Martin, and Williams. But I'll get you started with Alphatari. I do have thoughts on these. I like this one. I think Alphatari's weekend was like Oregon's weekend. First off, they're both fashion okay. brands. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so th- there you go on the first one. They both had, mm-hmm. I would say, a disaster of a weekend. Obviously, with Oregon just getting absolutely outclassed and outperformed by Georgia, mm-hmm. like pretty terrible fashion. Uh, bad night for the Pac-12. Um, but also Alpha Tori having a disaster with Yuki Sonoda, whatever the heck was going on here, there where he felt like his tires weren't fitted. He apparently unbuckled his seatbelt. So then that's why they had a really long pit stop because they had to rebuckle his seatbelt when he came in. Oh. And I don't know. 
Then there was that whole conspiracy that like they were trying to help out Red Bull by like putting deploying a virtual safety car. It was just a mess. And then obviously um, Gasly also didn't finish in the points. Also, another similarity is both teams have a really talented piece that is not going to stick around. Gasly is going to Alpine, most likely. Um, I hope that happens at least. Even if he doesn't go to Alpine this year, he's not sticking around. Like he's not a long-term person there. In the same way, Dan Lanning, you know, he's going to do great at Oregon, I think, but there's no way he's staying longer than three years. Oregon is just apparently a bridge job for, especially a guy that's not an ingrained West Coast guy. I see, I don't think there's any way he stays there longer than three years and is going to use that as a stepping stone to some big, big 10 or SEC job. So that's my comparison. Yeah, I mean, both teams are basically built for the people on them to not stay there. Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's a feeder program for Red Bull, and Oregon is a feeder program for, like, the True. bigger, like, SEC and Big Ten schools. So I think there's a lot of similarities there. I like that one. All right, what about Aston Martin? Um, I'm going to say this is more of, like, a overarching narrative and not necessarily week one's uh, narrative, but I'm going to say Florida State, actually. Um, they're kind of like – they're both fun brands. People would like Florida State to be to be like back Aston Martin to like have arrived, I guess, because they're not really coming back from anything. But it, I think it's funny because Lance Stroll just can't break that glass ceiling of tenth place. He has five points this year, and every point has come from being a tenth point, uh, a tenth place finish. Uh-huh, yeah. So I think that's really funny. Meanwhile, and they kind of have like Sebastian Vettel, who's like the former great champ, which is like how Florida State is, like maybe like a Bobby Bowden kind of guy. But he's having a really erratic up and down season, and Florida State in the same vein, like they just can't really break that glass uh, ceiling of like being competent even yet. They really haven't been since Jimbo Fisher's left. So that's what Aston Martin is trying to do. Where Aston Martin has like this like three year plan. I feel like Florida State kind of has like maybe a two to three year plan of like actually being in contention and being a big program again. So I see a lot of similarities there. Yeah, I mean, take it for what it's worth, too. But Florida State did win this past weekend, so yep. maybe that plan is uh, working out. Yeah, I feel like if nice. a team scored points, it would be it would make sense to give them a winning team. But if they didn't score any points, I, I tried to pick a loser for the most part. Okay. I did break this rule, though, Mostly. with Williams, who is next. Okay. Uh, I think it's Go Iowa it. <laughs> because they're just both kind of, uh, like, fun to root for, like, kind of endearing, but just not good. Um, like, Iowa, <laughs> if anybody... I didn't watch that game, luckily. Um, but the final score was 7-3. They did not get the seven points, their seven points the way you thought they would. They had two safeties and a field goal to get to seven points, which is just ridiculous. Big Ten blue-collar football at its finest, but I feel like that's kind of where Williams, like, both drivers finished out outside the points. And if they do get, like, a 10th point, fin- or a 10th place finish, it's like, woo, look at them! We're the same way where if Iowa scores a touchdown, it's like, oh my goodness, Iowa scored a touchdown. So that's where I'm going there. Iowa did get the win, but it was only like a 7-3 win, so it's almost a loss. Exactly. I wish that they had never kicked that field goal. Scoring, <laughs> having a 4-3 win would have been the greatest thing in the history of college football. Yeah, that, that would have been funny. It's like a baseball score at that point. Soccer score, maybe. Mm-hmm. Wrong kind of football. True. Well, we're... Yeah, we're going to move on then from our little college football comparison segment to kick it off and move into a recurring segment, the Carlos Corner, where Jared yes. just talks about Carlos Sainz. So please have the floor, Jared. It was kind of a disastrous weekend for Carlos, unfortunately, with a lot of stuff that was outside of his control. Like first, mm-hmm. he unfortunately didn't have the race pace that Leclerc had. Like on the first stint, he pretty much immediately dropped away from them and was under pressure from Lewis pretty much right at the start. 
Um, and in a Ferrari, you should be, I think you should be finishing like, and with Perez falling off right now too, you should be finishing like second or third most races and maybe first every once in a while if Max has a bad race basically is what it's coming down to. But so in that point, it looked like he was probably going to finish fourth without all that crap that happened to him though, where it was Ferrari usually let down Leclerc, but this time they let down Carlos with the really long, like 10 second pit stop. Then releasing him in front of a car, which was just an absolute train wreck. Um, so unfortunately, it wasn't his best weekend. But some good things about Carlos that I wanted to point out. He's done He's done a really good job closing the qualifying gap to Leclerc. He hasn't closed mm-hmm. the race gap yet. But the thing, that's the reason I like Carlos so much. Is he, like, he just improves. And, like, he just, like, kind of gets down and, like, does the work. So, for example, in the Dutch Grand Prix... He was only seven hundredths, hundredths behind Leclerc, so less than a tenth. The Belgian mm-hmm. Grand Prix, he was two and a half tenths quicker. Yes, Charles had an engine penalty, but um, that kind of, in my opinion, gets canceled out in France where Carlos didn't set a Q3 time, but he was faster mm-hmm. than Leclerc in Q2, and that was because mm-hmm. Carlos had an engine penalty in that race. Hungary, he was a tenth quicker than Leclerc. Austria, only, again, less than a tenth, only five hundredths behind and then Great Britain, the pole position, and Canada also out-qualifying Leclerc, but because of kind of because of an engine penalty that Leclerc was going to take. But I think the point is is that like Canada slash Great Britain was kind of a turning point where Leclerc or where Carlos rather is feeling really comfortable with the car now. And the race, who's like a really good like motorsport publication that I really like, they did a good job talking about Carlos and how he's like a really technical driver, where he needs to understand like the physics of the car and exactly what's going on technically. And that's part of the reason why he one why he improves because you get more data throughout the season and two mm-hmm. why he's transitions well from different teams is because he really gets mm-hmm. in and doesn't rely on like feel he relies on like understanding the technical understanding the car the technical data and stuff and that's part of the reason why they mentioned that like Ricardo for example what isn't really known as a technical driver he drives more on feel and that's part of the reason why he hasn't really transitioned to McLaren so well anyway to sum it up like. I'm just happy to see Carlos's progression. He doesn't have the natural race pace or maybe like natural ability that Leclerc has, which is what makes F1 frustrating because it's like, where can you make up those gaps if you just don't have the natural speed? And I think Carlos is kind of an example of that. Is you like study the study the car, know the technical dif- like differentiations of the car, and he's showing that like he's right there with Leclerc on qualifying pace. What do you think? And that's very blue collar of him. It's very blue collar. It is. To lock down, learn the technical like capability of the car, and make your improvements for there. And that's mm-hmm. one of the reasons I think I like him a lot as well. And yeah, I think he has had an impressive season overall. Like obviously this week was like a, just a total and complete disaster, um, as has just typically happened with Ferrari at least to one of the drivers, even though it's more commonly Leclerc. Um, I don't know. I think you like summed up really nicely. I think Carlos has a great season. I do want to ask you this because I have an opinion on this as well. Do you think he'll win another race before the season's out? Oh man, um, that's a good question. I'm actually going to say yes, um, because okay, there's a chance we haven't really had like our crazy like Max crashes out of the race. Leclerc and Ferrari have some like engine problem, and then it like leaves the door open for some random other team to win. Like we haven't had that kind of race yet where we had a lot in 2020. We had hungry last year, probably had another race that I'm forgetting off the top of my head, but we're also going to have some tracks where 
uh, I haven't seen a, seen a Singapore Grand Prix yet, but they say it's hard to overtake there. So maybe if Carlos does disqualify and pull, you get the win there. Who knows? So I'm going to just say yes. What do you think? I think no. I think okay. at this point, like, Mercedes is improving enough. I think there's enough mm. of a history of Ferrari, like, bungling things. I think they're... Leclerc still just has the race pace over Carlos that I think things would have to like fall together really nicely for him in a way that I just don't think will probably happen yet this year but we'll see I mean there's there's not that many races left what there's I think seven uh, Monza there's Singapore yeah Japan US Mexico Brazil and Abu Dhabi so yeah seven more okay I just don't know if like the opportunities there are gonna like fall for him necessarily yeah We'll see. But I think we're we'll still see. due. We're still we'll due for a crazy race. Like it, it, something needs to happen to Max's car, basically, for that to happen. But I think we're still due for that. We haven't had that yet. I just don't know if that's gonna happen. Like I just think Red Bull has been so you, crazy. Yeah, but I mean, it, it like, could just be like some backmarker, like Latifi trying to unlap himself or something, and you know, causes a safety car <laughs> or, or or even like crashes into Max. Who knows? Like we we haven't had that race yet. I don't think. True. Kind of maybe maybe <laughs> Brit- maybe the British Grand Prix was that race, but I feel like we're due for another one. Yeah, I just don't necessarily know if we will, but who knows? We'll see. Who knows? Um, what what? Let's go into our next segment, which is a saga that has been going on for a long time that I don't think we've actually talked about yet, which is the Alpine Piastri fiasco, um, which is finally over as the Contract Recognition Board ruled that only McLaren had a valid contract with Piastri. McLaren then quickly announced that Piastro would or Piastri would partner Lando Norris next year. Alpine, McLaren, Daniel Ricciardo, Piastri himself have all like spoken publicly about the situation now, so I, I like a lot of information's out there now. Lucas, with all that we know now, who do you think comes out looking the best and like worst from this? I want to preface this by saying I don't think anybody looks particularly good coming out of this, so I'm not yeah, even going right. to award like a okay. who is coming out That's fair. looking the best. I'm just going to do multiple levels of worse, and I think the two levels of like worse that we have that like the highest level way up there are McLaren and Alpine, the two teams themselves, and for wildly different reasons. Um, I think McLaren because they just again we I alluded to this earlier when I talked about you know the college football comparisons. But I think they just look like a villain in this situation. They forced out a super well-liked driver. Mm-hmm. And, like, listen, it, there are ways they could have done this where it wouldn't have looked so villainous. Like, Danny Rick was clearly not performing up to potential. Like, he had trouble with the car. Um, but I think part in part because he's so well-liked as a driver on the grid and partially because of just, like, the blatant, like reason they did this was to get piastri uh, i think they just ended up coming looking like villains yeah so like mclaren i think looks really bad on one level for it and then alpine i think looks like similarly bad but just in a completely different way and that they just look like like hapless it's like like it's just like such an awful look to announce a driver on your team and then the driver tweet out like no sorry like i i haven't signed a contract like i think that's already just such a bad start so i think like the top level like, people that look bad out of it are the two teams. I think Piastri is kind of neutral with the slight negative spin. I don't think he handled the situation well, but he only didn't handle the situation well because Alpine kind of forced his hand. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, had they never tweeted that out, it would have been like, oh, like, he Piastri is just going to McLaren. But I do think it looks a little shady, just like the whole situation with him now, of like, I don't know, maybe not honoring things with Alpine or jumping, but... 
I think he looks like pretty much neutral in this situation. They're like, had it not been for Alpine, none of this would ever come out, and he doesn't look bad. As for Danny Rick, I think it's just like not nearly best necessarily best or worst, but just feels kind of sad. Mm. Like I feel like he's just really had a fall from grace recently. There's some audio of him saying that he might just take the year off in 2023. He was talking to Checo before the Dutch Grand Prix. Oh, really? Come back in 2024. Um, and I just don't think that's going to happen. Like, I just don't think that, like, somebody would, like, bring him back in 2024. And I know, like, mm. people are like, oh, like, that happens sometimes. But the drivers it happens with most often are ones who are, like, really established. Like, Alonso taking a year mm. off. Like, won a World Drivers Championship and stuff like that. I guess you could counter with Ocon, who had a year off in between as well. But he was, he was young, young at least. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So there's potential. I think with Danny Rick, it's like he's never won a World Drivers Championship. He hasn't really been great since he left Red Bull. Like he's mm-hmm. has what only two podiums since one for Renault and then the win at Monza last year. Um, so I think it just this just might be it for him, which is kind of like of all the ways to go out, this feels like the saddest. Agree, agreed. Yeah, I I think most people say Alpine looks the worst, but I think it's McLaren as well, just because they stabbed Ricardo on the back. Um, I mean, like if the contract recognition board revealed that, um, Piastri signed his contract on July 4th, which was after the British Grand Prix. And that was before Daniel Ricardo like put out that Instagram story or statement or whatever. He's like, I'm committed to McLaren and seen it through. So here he, mm-hmm. either he didn't know, um, either he like didn't know. And that's why he posted it. Like I'm committed or he did know and was like trying to make McLaren look bad or something, but I don't think that's really in his character. So I think he didn't know that Piastri had already signed a contract, which looks really bad, I think, for McLaren. Mm-hmm. And in terms of like the Piastri side, I think if he hadn't tweeted, I think we would be fine, mostly fine with it. Because this is like a, a classic case of like employees starting to have more leverage, essentially, and kind of the general, a more general acceptance that like in labor relations, it's a two way street. Uh-huh. And there's more public acceptance of that, I think. Because, like, everyone on Earth acts in their own, like, self-interest, basically. Especially in Formula 1. Like, the teams do and the drivers do. Like, yes, you can talk about a lack of loyalty. I think there is, like, some merit to that if they had a contract with Piastri, which apparently mm-hmm. they didn't even have a contract with them. So, like, I don't even, yeah, I, I don't know, like, what... When they were, like, when they were talking about we have a valid contract... Who knows what they were even talking about at that point because this contract recognition board didn't see it that way. Um, so there, there's like one aspect of that. And a, the other aspect is that Piastri had notified Alpine. He he claims that he had notified Alpine multiple times that they were signing with McLaren before Alonso's mm-hmm. departure. So like that mm-hmm. just makes it even more confusing why Alpine would do that and like puts Piastri in a really bad situation. Like I said, I think if he didn't tweet, it would have been way better and just, like, don't confirm anything, just don't say anything, because he didn't have to say mm-hmm. anything, right? Yeah. I think it would have been a lot better, but um, in terms of loyalty, like, nobody said that Mercedes was being disloyal for dropping Bottas and signing George Russell, right? Nobody said Ferrari was being disloyal for cutting Sebastian Vettel. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like, maybe some people are saying that, but they don't get as much criticism for that as, like, a driver, as an individual does. You know what I mean? No, yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. But I don't know. I think just, like, so much of it, too, is just, like... It's weird because, like, so much of this, like, obviously happens behind closed doors all the time. Mm-hmm. But I think just, like, seeing it so bold-faced and, like, in the public and play out in the press had just made McLaren look like such a villain. Yeah. 
like just knowing that sort of along the way they were doing everything they could to kind of get Danny Rick out. Because I I think there's, like, a difference there between, like, you mentioned Bottas. Like, I don't think, like, necessarily, like, Mercedes was doing everything in their power to, like, cut ties with him early or anything like that. Because just, like, they decided to sign Russell instead of Bottas for the next season. That happens. This is, like, they were finding a way to, like, terminate his contract early and stuff like that. So it feels, like, a little different to me. Yeah. Yeah, no, it definitely is different. Also, another... Great point that someone made. Uh, Al Dasson, another good YouTuber, made a point that like, mm-hmm. um, Alpine were like trying to to put Piastri on literally the worst team on the grid in Williams, and like as mm-hmm. a driver here, you have no idea how many times you're gonna be able to drive a Formula One car. You're like, no, I'm not gonna drive in the freaking back marker when I don't even have a guarantee when I'm driving for Alpine, and Alpine is not Mercedes. Like George George Russell, in a sense, was kind of okay, I guess. Languishing at Williams because, all right, the prize at the end for this patient patience is I get to drive on the best team on the grid. And Alpine is literally yeah. the fourth best, at, at best. You know, uh-huh. sometimes they're the fifth best team. So it's like, it, yeah, I, I understand Piastri's side where, like, they didn't, there was not no clarity on, like, when I was going to drive for them. And they wanted to put me mm-hmm. on a backmarker team. I didn't want that. I told them multiple times we're going to sign with McLaren instead mm-hmm. since you guys want Alonzo and that's fine. And then they let, and then you know Alonzo leaves, and now they're like, "Oh, we're just gonna announce Piastri." It just, yeah, it yeah. just looks bad. It just looks bad. Well, speaking of these two teams more generally, I guess then, which of them do you think has the highest long-term potential of winning races and championships? Um, gosh, it's a pretty good question. I kind of feel like I want to say McLaren though. Um, they have a more storied history than Alpine does. My only worry is that they don't manufacture their own engines and they're also not going to be the exclusive partner with an engine manufacturer because mercedes is obviously making their own engines for their team Mm -hmm. and supplying four other teams on the grid maybe that'll change with audi i doubt i mean i doubt this will happen but maybe audi sells their engines to other teams um or maybe somehow porsche does even though it seems like that deal's dead unless it goes through red bull um that'd be my only worry with, with mclaren but it seems like they have like more prestige a little more maybe expertise there as well um and they're getting a wind tunnel to like kind of catch up with the technology that other teams have which is a good thing so i think mclaren have a lot going for them and alpine it's like i don't know i mean they're close like they they built a race winning engine for red bull when they were uh when they were renault at that well i mean i guess renault Mm -hmm. still is the engine supplier for alpine technically but so they they've proven they can do it but i don't know I, I still feel like it's McLaren for me. I think it's Alpine. I, I lean a okay. little bit in the opposite direction. I think just, like, because their, like, level of improvement seems like consistently taking small steps up. And, I mean, a lot of it, I think, too, like, a reason I think is because they do make their own engines. I think there's, like, some a lot of value in that um, and always being sort of, like, the flagship team for the engine maker. But I think that, like, McLaren's been really inconsistent over the last, like, five or ten years. And mm-hmm. I think that, like, even, like, when they were they were P3 in 2020, like, it's like they followed up with a season that was, like, they were beat up by Ferrari then. And now they're probably going to slip down to, like, P5 this year. And so it's, like, the improvement just never seems to be linear. And whereas it does more so with Alpi. Like, they're just yeah. taking slow steps up every year to the point where this year, I my bet would be on them to be best of the rest at this point. So, I don't know. For that reason, I think Alpine. 
Yeah, that's fair. The the other thing I worry about with McLaren is if they start becoming like a race winning, consistent race winning team, is like is that going to affect their relationship with Mercedes? Because that would imply mm-hmm. that they're beating Mercedes, who's supplying them engines. Which, yep. Um, I I I mean I I try to look back at this. I think Red Bull. <laughs> We're beating Renault, like Alpine Renault or Renault at the time, but I think Renault didn't enter the sport again until like 2015 or something like that. Somebody can correct uh-huh. me if I'm wrong in the comments or something, but um, I don't I don't know. Like when was the last time we've seen a customer team beating the team that's supplying them engines? I feel like that's good, that's got to cause some sort of complications <laughs> in that I'm relationship. Sure, it does. You know, but you know, cross the bridge when you get there. Maybe yeah. you just like luck out and have one real nice season, and then they drop you. But you had that nice season. Yeah, so it's fine. exactly. Maybe they should go with Honda again. Uh, I'm just, I'll just throw that out there. Um, oh, it seems like Honda might want to come back to F1. Let's do a little uh, cash or trash though, because um, we we this Alpine Piastri fiasco has kind of opened up some other um, driver scenarios and stuff. So we're we're gonna mostly gonna talk about that. Lucas, I'll start with you on cash or trash. Um, Pierre Gasly obviously is linked to Alpine. Cash or trash that Pierre Gasly would beat Esteban Alcon at Alpine? I have two answers. Oh. Um, a short term and a long term. I think in the short term, I'm going to trash it. because mm-hmm. Just because I think it's always difficult for a driver to get used to a new car um, and sort of make the adjustments they need. And I think there's always just such a growing period that like they're always just at a structural disadvantage um, the new driver versus the established driver. And so I think, well, I think Gasly is a better driver than Ocon, and I'll get to that later. I think that he's not so much better of a driver that he could overcome in the 2023 season. Um, Ocon's just experience with Alpine and with that car. But in the long term, I think it's a cash. I think Gasly is the better of the two drivers. Um, and I think when they compare both cars last year, Alpine was P5. Uh, and the constructors, AlphaTauri was P6. Gasly beat Ocon despite having the worst of the two cars based on the constructor standing. So I think everything with that suggests that Gasly's the better driver, but I just think it'll take him a little bit of time to get used to the car. And so for that reason, I think Ocon next year, but I think in the long term, Gasly would consistently beat out Ocon. Yeah, that's really good logic, actually. I, I think I think he would beat him ne- the next year, even. I'm, I'm going to cash it, but uh, I would cash yeah. it, but... Because I think Gasly is, like you said, a genuinely good driver. And I think also Alpine's original mistake in the handling of their driver lineup was signing Alcon for a long-term deal. Like, what? Yeah. imagine if he had Alonzo Piastri, that'd be awesome. I'd be willing, be I, I, I would be willing to give up Alcon for Piastri personally, but you know what I mean? But uh, Yeah, me too. Who knows? Cash or Trash, this next one, Mick Schumacher to Alpine makes sense. Cash or Trash. Purely, like, context-dependent, I think it's a trash. Like, I think Gasly's just the better option of the two of them. If you're deciding between Gasly and Mick, I think Gasly has shown himself to be consistently a better driver in F1. I get the choice of Mick in the abstract. He's a big name. He brings the attention that comes with the Schumacher name and all that. He's, he hasn't been bad at Haas. Like, I think he's somebody who probably does Well, he hasn't been great at Haas either. Yeah. I don't know. He's been... I just don't, like, I get the appeal, I guess, of bringing in a Schumacher and somebody who still has potential mm-hmm. to, like, do well. But I think, like, if there are no other options, Mick would be a good option, but I, or a good enough option. But I think, given the context, like, why would you not choose Gasly at this point? So, and plus, if you choose Gasly, you can have an all-French lineup on a French team. I think that's pretty cool. 
So which I'll take that too. So I don't make 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 sense. Yeah. A couple one thing on that by the way on the all French lineup. I was thinking about this. If if Ford, for example, let's say you're an F1 driver, and like Ford mm. or Chevy is a team, would you rather drive for them or Ferrari? Or Mercedes? Even? Ferrari. Exactly. Like Ferrari I feel like Mercedes. Yeah. Maybe maybe that's something that is cool for like Gasly. Like yeah, I want to drive for a French team. But if I'm like, uh-huh. even if like Ford and Ferrari are equal, I'm like, dude, I'm driving for Ferrari, man. I want to drive. I want to or Mercedes. Like I want to drive for the luxury brands. I I don't know. That's just me. Well, also Ferrari just has like the appeal for, of F1 history. You know? Okay, what about Mercedes? Mercedes like or Ford? And they're both equally talented. Probably Mercedes. Yeah, I just but feel they like they're, it's cooler. I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm a big history guy too, you know. So okay. I, I'll take that as well. Even but, Aston Martin, like I would, I'd be like, dude, that's sick. I'll drive for okay. James Bond's brand. Heck yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I, I don't think I'm as intrigued by Aston Martin as well. If they were good, like, if I they were good, for... I think it'd be fun. Mm. I don't know. Okay, I another thing I want to say though on Mick Schumacher, I agree with yeah. you that it it doesn't really make sense. And Esteban Alcon was like, I want Mick as my teammate. The reason you should never take a driver's um, recommendation for a teammate because the driver wants somebody they know they can beat. So, which yeah, exactly. I think Alcon wants <laughs> Schumacher as a teammate sense. because he knows he can beat him, and that makes for a good teammate dynamic. Like when there's a clear number one and number two, and I feel like mm-hmm. the problem for Mick was that he doesn't have Mazepin as his like barometer anymore. Now it's like an established yeah. driver in Magnussen. Where if mm-hmm. if Mick like has two score- point scoring finishes this year, and Mazepin is his teammate who hasn't scored any points, then it looks like oh yeah, Mick's super good. But now that like mm-hmm. he has Madison as his teammate, it's just it's kind of unfortunate in that way. Um, but like, yeah, he does still have the potential. Like he won Formula Two, he still has the potential. Yeah. Potential. So we'll see. Who knows? All right, we're gonna go to for you to you for the next two cash or trashes. Uh, the first one is AlphaTauri are interested in signing IndyCar driver Colton Herta, but he doesn't have enough points for a super license or requirement to drive an F one. So Jared, cash or trash? Should the FIA make an exception and grant him a super license to race in F one? Uh, I actually think I'm gonna change my answer that I originally had written down, uh, and I'm gonna say cash. Actually, I originally okay. wrote trash because. So I'm new to F one, so this is something I learned in researching this. So drive in F one, you need a super license, and the way mm-hmm. the super license works is you need to have scored forty points within the last three seasons to be eligible. Because of COVID, the FIA said you could count your best three seasons from the past four years, um, and you get you, the way you get points is from like your finishes in junior categories, um, as well as driving a hundred kilometers in a free practice session. Colton Herta, uh, Colton Herta only has thirty-two points right now, um, but if they use COVID as a force majeure clause, then he'd only need thirty points, and then he would be eligible. So I think that's what AlphaTauri is going to try to argue. And I, the reason I also, so the reason I trashed it is because I was like, well, there's clear rules in place that like AlphaTauri knows about, Mm -hmm. like they shouldn't get it. And I also didn't understand why AlphaTauri were like suddenly interested in him other than the fact Mm -hmm. that he's an American and like, they just want to bring an American into the sport to help them out. Mm -hmm. But when I look at his results, I actually think he is ready for F1. And when you look at the point system, Mm -hmm. it, it it disadvantages IndyCar. So, for example, if you look at the point system, if you finish first, second, or third in F2, you get your 40 points right away just by doing that. Mm-hmm. Where in IndyCar, uh-huh. you only get 40 points from finishing first. 
But Colton Herta finished third in the 2020 the pandemic season. He finished third. So if that was an F2 season, he'd already have a super license. So I feel like an IndyCar is the the highest level of competition for open-wheel racing that we have in America. Mm-hmm. So I feel like in some way he was disadvantaged just for not racing an F2 that year. And he's racing against people that have been in Formula 1 before, you know what I mean, who have mm-hmm. super licenses. So I do see the argument... And maybe maybe it's like, all right, you don't get it this year, but we will rework the IndyCar rules so that it doesn't disadvantage IndyCar drivers anymore. Because like Gunther Steiner noted that like it doesn't really make sense to use COVID as a force majeure because like everybody was still racing. It didn't stop really any series yeah. from still racing. Mm-hmm. And there's other drivers in IndyCar who do have their super license, but those are older guys, granted. Um, mm. But I think... He kind of is just disadvantaged that he races in IndyCar and now F2, and I'm not really sure. I, I mean, I only wa- I don't really watch IndyCar F2 that much. I'll, I'll be frank about it, but I find it hard to believe that there's that big of a talent difference where F2 should be that much more favored in the super license points. Yeah. I thoughts? think one argument I've seen is that, like, people make is that, like, it really just, like, disincentivizes people to race in F2 or Formula E or F3 or anything like that if you take away the super license, which is like, I'm okay with if IndyCar becomes better as a result of it and you get more drivers coming over to IndyCar, I think that's like cool. Cause that's yeah. like better open wheel racing closer to me. I do get it though. Like there is an established structure and like, you want to see like these um, different levels maintained, but honestly, like I'm okay with it. If he wants to come in, like, I don't think it's like, it's not like he's just like, like I'm be- the point of this rule presumably is to like prevent like, pay drivers exactly where it's like you could just have a random person come in he's clearly established himself as like a good driver and another series so like and that's i in that sense of it i feel like i'm fine with them letting him in and making an exception yeah i do think another thing that was brought up in some article i read is that if um apparently some sort i think it was like an anonymous source said something like if they let Colton Herta in then we should just stop investing in f3 and f2 um and let somebody else Mm -hmm. pay for it essentially which I think is also consideration, especially consider everything that happened with Piastri. Some teams even uh-huh. said, like, we're going to reevaluate how we run our junior programs now, actually. Because if, like, yeah. I'm not going to invest in a driver that might not even race for me, let somebody else pay for it. Let, let that IndyCar team pay for him, and then we'll take him. You know what I mean? Exactly. So there's, there's some sense. interesting perspectives to it. Mm-hmm. But I would love to see an American on the grid, <laughs> honestly. Oh, I I'd would be too. rooting for AlphaTauri a little bit if, they, if that happened, for sure. Who's the last American who's been on the grid? Uh, oh my Scott gosh. Speed. Scott Speed? That's not a person. There's no way. <laughs> yeah, it is. American he race car driver. Up. Up. Yeah, I think he had he put in a few races in like yeah, in 06 and 07 for Red Bull. Oh, um cuz or for for Toro Rosso. Um he was yeah, 28 times. Um cuz he was also a NASCAR driver. Okay, yeah. For a little bit. Yep, 2006, so, right? And then before that was Michael Andretti. It sounds, yeah. it looks like. So, uh, Scott Speed, yes. when you said that, I was like, is this a video game character? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, absolutely a real person. Oh. So, yeah. Interesting. Okay. And he was replaced by Sebastian Vettel, who did turn out to be a big upgrade. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, yeah. All right, our last catcher trash we have for today, and the last like major part of the main segment we have, uh, Jared, catcher trash. Whether Alonso's comments during the Belgian Grand Prix, where he called Lewis Hamilton a quote idiot or blown out of proportion. 
Yeah, this is a huge cash for me. Like, so most most publications, they seem to focus on the fact that Fernando called him an idiot. But I think the part of the reason why people gave this so much attention was because not only there's already that beef between Fernando and like Fernando clearly does not like Lewis. I think it's really clear to me at least. Uh-huh. But his insult was also super specific in that like this guy only knows how to drive from first, which is funny because it's not true at all. I think I saw a stat even that Lewis has more wins from a position that isn't first then Fernando has wins of any kind, which is pretty funny. Um, <laughs> I didn't verify that, but I, I'm pretty sure I saw that. I couldn't find the verification. I believe that's true. Yeah, it, it seems like it's true with 103 wins or whatever Lewis has. But I feel like this is just trash talk, and I don't know why F1 like shies away from it so much. And like I've heard other drivers calling each other an idiot, um, or even worse sometimes. I feel like like pretty much every race. So I, I don't know. I think it's like similarly, there was a the, there was like, the fact that it's like a news story that Lewis apologized to his team for, like, his angry radio outburst, I feel like it's just absurd. Like, football coaches don't apologize for yelling at their players, or players don't apologize for yelling at each other on the field, same way that, like, LeBron yelling at J.R. Smith for not throwing up that layup in Game 1 of the 2018 Finals or whatever. Like, he didn't apologize for that. He's just like, dude, what the heck? I don't know. I feel like it's just trash talk, and I don't really understand why it get, it got, it gets so, like, blown out of proportion. What do you think? I think because F1 just has, like, the, it seems to me that, like, that comes along with it. And similar way to baseball, like, just, like, a, an expected code of conduct. Yeah. And this just sort of violates that code of conduct is why it becomes so big. Because, like, I don't, I don't know. I don't think it's that huge of a deal. But I think, like, that's given my, like, experience with certain, like, sports expectations of, like, oh, like, trash talk is accepted and cool. And I think that's, like, not as much the case in F1. Mm-hmm. So I think that. Yeah, that's probably why I got blown out of proportion so much, even if I don't necessarily agree with it. Yeah. As long as it doesn't get into, like, something that's coming from, like, a place of, place of hatred. Like, I, I know that, like, they don't... F1 doesn't like booing, because I think a lot of times mm-hmm. that can come from hatred. And it's, like, instead of, like, sporting fun... And follow-up question to this, by know. the way. Should yeah. should driver's radio continue to be broadcasted? There's not... Yes. I don't think there's really any other sport where this happens, right? Where you, like, they're mic'd up live. But what do you think? Yeah, no, there's not, and it absolutely should be. I think it provides, like, such a unique insight into the sport that pretty much no other sport has. Like, I know you get sometimes on, like, broadcasts, like, they'll be, like, in the ear of a player or whatever, and you can hear what they're saying. But, like, that's not unfiltered. Like, you're getting mm-hmm. what, like, NBC chooses you to hear on Sunday Night Football or, like, ESPN on, like, baseball games. Exactly. That's not real. This is, like, a pure unfiltered look into, like, the inner workings of a sport, and I love it for that. So, yeah, I don't think they should do away with it at all, at least from a viewer's perspective. I understand why, as a driver or a team, it might be annoying. Yeah. But for me, as a annoying. fan, I love it. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, I agree. I think I think they should. the media should just get, like, less up in arms about stuff when drivers trash talk, basically. And just, yeah, keep broadcasting it. Because sometimes that broadcast is needed to, like, make the race interesting, <laughs> you know, because sometimes on, there's not really that much happening on track. So I agree with that. Also, too... I'm not, like, shocked. I'm shocked that they don't say worse sometimes because F1 is, like, a life-or-death sport. You know what I mean? It's, like, it's super primal. So, like, yeah, that was that's, like, pretty tame, I feel like, for... Like, if they heard... I feel like if people heard, like, what NFL players say to each other, they'd be appalled, probably. <laughs> It'd be so if they're mad worse. about yeah, somebody calling them an idiot. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Different levels, I guess. Yeah. All right. We're going to finish off today, though, with the flying lap. Uh, just some quick little stories we might want to discuss or wrap up or any little topics. Uh, Jared, what do you have? I only have one one sector, let's say. Um, I thought that the uh, during FP2, Ted Kravis and David Crofty kind of got like a little 
argument about going to commercial break. Uh-huh. I, it was just the funniest thing ever where Ted Kravitz was like, um, I, I will, I do want to talk about like the Piastri situation, but let's go to commercial break or whatever. And then Crofty mm-hmm. was like, Oh, so you're the producer now or whatever. And they got, they kind of got like a, <laughs> like a 40 second, like almost a minute spat. It was really funny. Uh, I kind of hope we see funny. that sort of stuff again, actually. I thought it was hilarious. That's all I got. Yeah. Me too. I just have like a, a thought experiment, I guess, for this last one. Okay. I think, you know, for the, for the, for the last, um, little bit, there's been a lot of talk about playoffs on our show Ooh. and stuff like that. Um, and college, so the college football, um, playoff system is finally changing this week um well listen to our main show to hear about that but do you think f1 would ever change its championship format um to be more of a playoff nascar did this nascar used to be yeah. scored basically in the same way that f1 was and then they changed like a playoff system like 15 years ago mm-hmm. do you think there's any chance that as like f1 grows bigger and gets a more americanized audience especially that like that would happen because it's clear at this point max is going to win the world driver's yeah. championship even though there's seven races left um that's a good question i i definitely don't think they should i don't know i don't follow nascar so i don't 100 percent know the inner workings but i've heard criticisms basically that it's like super contrived basically and like kind of rubber band artificially rubber bandy i guess in a way where like points get reset at certain times right is that right mm-hmm. i yep. think that's dumb yeah it's like that it's like 16 drivers make the playoffs like if you win you're automatically in and then you get seated based on your number of wins and if 16 drivers don't win then the drivers with the next X, the highest points totals also get in. And then they reset the points. Like they like drop it down from 16 to eight to four. And then f- for like, they have a championship race, which I've always thought is weird to just have like one race be the championship. Cause it's like yeah. so dependent on like yeah. the circumstances of that That's race. Right. So, yeah, I don't like that personally. And I feel like you'll, a lot of times you'll probably come to the same conclusion anyway. Um, I mean, maybe mm-hmm. you will. Um, and it kind of, it's kind of like, as long as F1 finds interesting storylines that aren't the championship race, which is what Drive to Survive did so well, um, mm-hmm. they'll be fine. You know what I mean? I don't know. What do you think? No, I agree. I think they don't need to change it at all. Like, I think there's, like, I'm still interested in watching, even though I know Max is going to win yeah, at this point. Yeah, exactly. Because, so. like, something crazy might happen. What else is going to happen further down the grid? That sort of stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. All right. Well, with that, we're going to wrap up the show. Make sure you're listening uh, on SoundCloud, on Spotify, and on Apple Podcasts, rating us five stars there, sharing with your friends, your family, anyone who you think might listen. This is our Pit Stop show again, where we just talk about Formula One, but we've got our main show later in the week where we talk about all sports. This week, there's going to be a lot of good college football and NFL talk, so stay tuned for that, Um, and we'll see you next week.